If you would remain standing for the reading of Scripture, we're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 1. We'll read verses 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing... He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Dear Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to discover in Paul's words and in his example the truth regarding the one true gospel, your gospel, that it is not according to man in any respect. Make us relentlessly faithful both to proclaim and to adorn your incomparably good news to men. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Because we, uh, we got a kind of a late start, we had a, a lot of things to deal with at the first meeting today. I'm going to end up taking my last outline point today, and I'll show you that outline in a second, and I'm going to bump it to next Sunday. And then, because that buys a little more time than, uh, than, you know, would be justified, what I want to do at the end of this message is uh, open the mic up and pass around the handheld mics that you see during the worship. And I'm going to tell you what I'd like to have people talk about so you can be thinking about it. And that is, at that point in the message, what I want to hear, what I'd like to hear from some of you guys, is how you have seen God use His Word to draw people to faith in Christ. How, what, some of you missionaries and others have been in circumstances where you have seen someone look into the Word, read the words of Scripture, or hear the words of Scripture proclaimed, and Watch the Holy Spirit use that and that alone to open the eyes of, of an unbeliever to the truth. So think about that.
think about that and, and uh, be ready to, to talk a little bit at the end. We, we normally wrap up about 10 afternoon, and that's what we'll try to do this morning. I'll, I'll truncate my message a good bit to allow for that. In Martin Luther's comments on the passage that we just read, he makes a very personal and very painful disclosure about what his own life was like before God called him by the grace of Jesus Christ. Luther's life had been spent in allegiance to a gospel that was so badly distorted that it had been completely robbed of grace. It was a gospel corrupted because it was contrived by men, and it was not the gospel of God. Luther writes this. He says, I crucified Christ daily with my monastic life. He was a monk. And blasphemed God through my false faith in which I then lived all the time. Outwardly, I was not like other people, extortioners, unjust, whoremongers. Rather, I practiced poverty, chastity, and obedience. Moreover, I was free from the cares of this present life. I was given only to fasting, watching, praying, saying masses, and so on. Yet underneath this cloak of holiness and trust in my own righteousness, I fostered continual mistrust, doubting, fear, hatred, and blasphemy against God. He goes on to say that such saints, and he puts the word saints in quotes, such saints are Satan's slaves and are therefore driven to speak, think, and do whatever he, Satan, wants. Although outwardly, they seem to excel everyone else in good works, holiness, and strictness of life. That's a brutally honest account of the life of one considered by others to be a man of God. What was it that changed Martin Luther from a lover of rule-keeping and self-righteousness to a lover of Jesus Christ? Well, he was changed by the work of the Holy Spirit, not through the testimony of men, but through God's own Word. Particularly, one verse, Romans 1.17, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And when he recognized that when God said the righteous man shall live by faith, that that meant every aspect of life, of real spiritual life, comes by faith. It completely rocked his world. And then, as he was still kind of in the, in the process of sorting through that shocking realization, he got into the book of Galatians. And the Spirit convinced Luther of a simple life-giving truth. That justification, a righteous standing in the eyes of God, comes only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Luther came to understand that the righteousness that God requires of men comes to us as a gift from God, not from us. That it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ given freely to us who put our trust in Him alone and who put no trust at all in ourselves or in our good works. Over time, Galatians, this epistle that we're examining, became overwhelmingly the book of the Bible which was most cherished by Martin Luther. 
No doubt because it established this foundational truth so clearly and emphatically. Luther is quoted as saying at a dinner table with friends, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle to which I am betrothed. It is my Katie von Bora. Katerina von Bora was the name of his beloved wife who had been a nun when Luther was a monk. Luther's conversion story has very much in common with Paul's. They had both been devout law keepers, strangers to every notion of true grace, before God's grace in Jesus Christ changed them forever. They had both been intimately acquainted with the kind of religion that comes from the minds of men, that complies with the traditions of men. The stories of both of those men, Luther and Paul, or Paul and Luther to put it chronologically, are powerful testimonies to the transforming, life-giving power of God's good news that no man ever could have or would have come up with. Because God's gospel is foreign to everything that is in man until man is redeemed by that gospel, through that gospel. That is Paul's central assertion in the passage we're looking at today, that the gospel that we bear to the world as the, as the children of God, God's gospel is not according to man. And here's where we're going, and it'll be this week and next week. First, we'll look at Paul's central assertion in verse 11, that the gospel is not according to man. We'll talk a little bit about what that means. And then we'll see that what that means unfolds in three parts. That the gospel message does not come from men. Gospel understanding does not come from men. And gospel transformation does not come from men. That last point is the one that we'll bump to next week, which actually works out well because I have been, I have been thinking about that point so much this week, and I just keep coming up with more things that I want to say. And you know me, I like to say what I want to say. All right, first, the central assertion of verses 11 through 24 is that this is not man's gospel. In the very first verse of this epistle, Galatians 1.1, Paul declared that his apostleship was not from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul's calling as an apostle of Jesus and as our Lord's ambassador to bring the gospel to the Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire was not from men in any sense. Men weren't in the conversation when Jesus called Paul. And in verses 6 through 10 that we looked at last week, Paul declared very emphatically that there is only one true gospel and that anyone who messes with it is utterly accursed. He concluded that passage by saying that anyone who tries to please men stops being a bondservant of Christ. The opinion of men must be of no consequence to an ambassador of Christ. Now in verses 11 and 12, Paul makes the exact same assertion about the gospel itself, which he preached, that he made about his calling to preach that gospel in verse 1. 
He says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I'm just going to point out that those, the words, the last phrase, but I received it through revelation, you'll see that I don't have the I received it up there because those in your Bibles, if you have them, they're in italics. That means they're, they're not in the original language. And I, I omitted them from these slides because when he says, I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, he, what he's getting at is he got both through revelation of Christ, both the reception of the message and the understanding of the message. He received it and he was taught it by Christ. Now, the, the two claims, that the one at the beginning of the chapter and the one here, that both Paul's calling to preach the gospel and the gospel that he preached were not from men but from God, that forms the bedrock of Paul's, Paul's apostolic authority to say the things that he's saying here. The Judaizers were trying very hard to undermine Paul's authority throughout these Galatian churches. But Paul's authority was established by the fact that neither his calling nor his message came from men. Both came directly from God. He was every bit as much an apostle as the original eleven. Now what does Paul mean when he says in verse 11 that the gospel he preached to the Galatians was not according to man? Well, based on all the rest of what we're going to see in this, in verses 11 through 24, he means that the gospel is not according to man in any conceivable sense. He means that nothing about the gospel of Jesus Christ comes from man and nothing about it matches up with the ways of man, with the logic or the reasoning or the behavior of man. It's foreign to humanity, to sinful, corrupt humanity. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God declared through Isaiah to Israel, He said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Because our sinful way of thinking and reasoning is so utterly divorced from God's perfectly holy and righteous way of thinking and reasoning and acting, any supposed way of access to God that men contrive is an epic failure. It will be wrong in every conceivable way. We need a way of access to God that comes from God, not from us. Because God tells us as directly and forcefully as He can that we'll never come up with it. We'll never even understand it on our own. The gospel is the good news of that way, His way, that way, that truth, and that life. And of course, His name is Jesus Christ. And we should be exceedingly grateful that nothing about the gospel comes from men. Paul's first point in that regard, as he kind of fleshes it out, is that the gospel message does not come from men. Paul says he didn't receive the gospel that he preached from men. He received it directly from the resurrected Christ, who personally appeared to Paul 
as he was walking along a road from Jerusalem to Damascus. And we'll talk a little more about the whole story of that that event later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul declares that his preaching was not with superiority of speech or of wisdom, but that he came proclaiming to men only the testimony of God. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 2 to say that his message is the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, that's all I claim to know. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then he says that that, that wisdom, is a wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, because if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then if that's not enough, he says that the wisdom that he bears is a wisdom which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and it has not entered the heart of man. It's foreign to mankind. But he says it's revealed by the Holy Spirit. And how is it revealed by the Holy Spirit? (laughs) He says, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual with spiritual combining spiritual wisdom or thoughts, the ones that belong to God, with spiritual words. How does the Holy Spirit reveal the truth of God to men who would never otherwise have any clue of it? Through words. Spiritual thoughts combined with spiritual words. And where do we find those words? There's only one place. The Bible Beloved, is the Word of God, and it is the words of God. Yes, he used the styles and the, and the writing and the, and the uh, vocabularies of men, but he superintended what he provided so that the result is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So how much emphasis should we put on our words versus His words when we're trying to point people to Jesus Christ? It's a very important question. Carrie sent me a link last week to an amazing video. Email me and I'll send it to you. In which a young Jewish man is standing on a street in a city in Israel and he's asking individuals that he gets in conversation with to read through the Hebrew text of Isaiah 53. And if you know what that passage is about, you're smiling. It is the most straightforward prophecy in the Old Testament that God's Messiah would suffer and die to pay the penalty of man's sin. That He would satisfy God's anger against our sin by that sacrifice of Himself, that guilt offering and that he would be raised from the dead and highly exalted. And you know when that passage was written? 700 years before Jesus came from heaven to earth and fulfilled every word of that prophecy. Armed with nothing more than that amazing text from God's Word and a handful of simple pointed questions like, does this remind you of any person in history? That young man got to watch as at least two of those with whom he was speaking seemed to talk themselves into recognizing Yeshua, Jesus, as their 
Messiah. Not all of them got it, but I fully expect to see a couple of the young men that he spoke to in the kingdom of God. The gospel is God's message in God's words, and his words will always, always bear power that ours cannot. Do you know enough of God's word to actually use it when you're talking to others about Jesus? If not, do you think maybe you should? It's not our message that we bring to lost men. It's not our logic. It's not our reasoning. It's not our way at all. It's God's gospel. If we want to see people drawn to faith in Jesus Christ through our efforts, then our efforts need to point men to God's version of His good news. You know what gets missionaries really excited? And I I know I'm going to be speaking for some people here. (laughs) They get really excited when they find someone who's willing to read or listen to stories and passages from the Bible. Because they know that if a person is interacting directly with God's message, God's going to have His way with that person. That doesn't mean that everyone who reads the Bible will be saved. It means that God will accomplish in that person what He intends to accomplish. His Word will not return to Him empty without without succeeding in the matter for which He sent it. It will not return to him void. That's Isaiah 55, 11. By the way, isn't it fascinating in Isaiah 55 that God first says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And then he says, two verses later, he says, my word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. It will not return to me void. It's not our words, guys. It's His words. Here's the second question. When you do talk to unbelievers about Jesus, assuming that that's something that you do, do you present the gospel as just one possible truth to be considered? Or do you present it as God's revelation to mankind of the one and only way of salvation? When I was very new to the faith, I had a believing friend, and he was a dear brother, but he had this bracelet that said, Try Jesus. I loved the guy. I hated the bracelet. Is that the good news that we proclaim? Try Jesus. See if you like him. Would you say that Paul was dogmatic about the gospel or flexible? The word dogmatic means inflexible. It means authoritarian. It means that you're saying, here's the truth. And you're accountable to it. By the way, when's the last time you considered that approach to anything to be good and not evil? We live in a culture that that treats dogmatism as inherently evil. The notion that I would have the arrogance to tell another human being that there's a truth to which both of us are accountable is unthinkable to this culture. That's because this culture is consumed by sin and the curse instead of by God. When I was a senior at Texas A&M, I had a professor in one class whom I really liked a lot on a personal level. He was a a warm-hearted, caring kind of guy, and he had a great sense of humor and a good mastery of his subject. It was a small class, no more than about 15 or 20 students. One day toward the end of the class, we got into... 
brief conversation about different religions. I don't even know how it came up. But the prof said, there just has to be more than one path to God. Now, he knew where I stood because I had a habit in my college years of uh, speaking out vocally in class about Christ. And he liked me anyway. (laughs) I went up to him right after the class. This was right at the end of the class when he made that statement. I went up to him right after the class and I asked him this question. I said, Prof, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And in Acts 4.12, Peter said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men by which we must be saved. And I said to him, If that's what the Bible actually says about Jesus, but then if I go around telling people that there are many ways to God instead of just one, would I be representing the Jesus of the Bible or would I be representing a Jesus of my own making? And he said, well, you wouldn't be representing the Jesus of the Bible. Now, I don't know what God did with that conversation. As we'll see later, that's okay. (laughs) But I couldn't walk out of that classroom that day without setting those declarations about Christ before that man that I cared about. Ever since that, that day, I've gotten into other conversations, and whenever someone insists that there are many ways to God, those are the two verses I go to. Beloved, the message that we bear is not try Jesus. It's not anything of the sort. We are bearers of God's good news to men concerning His one and only Son, the Messiah of Israel, the Son of David, the Son of God, the one and only Savior, who will soon be acknowledged by all men everywhere as the one and only King over all of God's creation. Both those who acknowledge it unwillingly and those who acknowledge it willingly will still acknowledge it. Our assignment is not to convince people that God's testimony concerning His Son is true. Our assignment is to proclaim God's testimony concerning His Son because we love God and we love our neighbor. And because proclaiming that message to men is the most preeminently loving thing we will ever do this side of glory for God and for men. The gospel message does not come from men and gospel understanding does not come from men. Paul said he didn't receive the message from men and he wasn't taught the message by men. In fact... (laughs) What Paul was taught by men made him hate the gospel, right? In verse 13, he says that before Jesus revealed himself to Paul, Paul used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and he tried to destroy it. And that means exactly what it says. He tried to destroy the church. Verse 14 tells us how Paul came to that militant opposition to the church, For what, here's a question, for what was Paul more extremely zealous even than his other Jewish brethren? Tradition! You guys seen Fiddler on the Roof, right? That's that's Tevye. He was extremely zealous for his ancestral traditions that had led him to hate Jesus and the people who followed Jesus. 
And what was it that was presently when Paul wrote this letter posing a serious threat against the purity of the gospel inside the church? The traditions of men. Our universal tendency is to replace the gospel of God with the traditions of men. With the things that men devise and contrive and then cling to for dear life. Man's wisdom had not taught Paul the gospel. It had taught him to hate the gospel. Paul didn't get his understanding of the gospel from men and his understanding of the gospel wasn't improved or changed by men. In verses 15 to 20, he explains that after his miraculous conversion, he did not consult with flesh and blood. Men did not refine Paul's understanding of the gospel. But Paul didn't need anyone to convince him that men are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He already knew that the law didn't save. He knew that the law, he knew the law of Moses better than pretty much anybody. (laughs) He was an honors grad from the school of Gamaliel. He was, he knew it. And he had spent his life observing the requirements of that law as obsessively as he could manage. The law hadn't saved him. The law had made him bitter and murderous and hateful. He didn't need anyone to convince him that he was a wretched sinner saved only by God's grace because after after he met Jesus face to face, or rather face to blinding light, he immediately knew that he was not the righteous protector of the faith of his fathers that he had considered himself to be. Instead, he was a hate-filled murderer of the true people of God. He didn't need anyone to convince him that Jesus had been raised from the grave because he had just met the resurrected Christ. And added to that was the fact that as a Hebrew of Hebrews, he knew his Old Testament. And you can be sure that the Holy Spirit was continually showing Paul after his conversion just what the resurrected Christ had shown two confused disciples on the road to Emmaus, that the whole Old Testament is about him. Our assignment is not to make the gospel of Jesus Christ understandable to men. That's God's assignment. And He doesn't need our help. Our assignment is to faithfully proclaim the gospel, the one in the Bible, without messing with it in the process. The Holy Spirit will take care of the understanding part just as He provided the message in the first place. And beloved, that's very freeing. If you get anxious because you are very fearful of the thought that you have to convince somebody to believe in Jesus Christ, you can drop that anxiety because that's not your assignment. Your assignment is simply to lay the truth before men and women and children and trust the Holy Spirit to do what He will do through it. It's His gospel in every sense. It doesn't depend on you. You're an ambassador. You're an agent. God graciously makes us His agents. It's a wonderful way to live as agents of our Savior and our Master to help populate His kingdom. But we're not really helping. We're we're instruments. We're instruments. He's the source and He's the only source. We're tasked with really with two things. With proclaiming the message and adorning the message. And we'll talk next week about that adorning part when we talk some more about how God does the the work of transformation as well. But 
He transforms us too, and then He uses us. But we are to proclaim the message and we're to adorn the message with a life that matches up with it, matches up with the message instead of contradicting it. Now, I don't have a great wrap-up because I'm truncating my message, but what I do want to do is let you guys kind of wrap this up, and that is if you have a story, a real-life one, about how you have seen God use His Word, the Bible, to draw someone to faith in Jesus Christ, I'd like you to raise your hand and let us give you a mic. Be bold. Got one right here. Steve. So some of you may know that uh, many years ago, and off and on for many years, this church has prayed for my uh, brother, Bennett Levy. And some years ago it came to pass that... that uh, we were, I was blessed to be able to fly to Arizona and <clears throat> talk with Bennett about things. And we talked throughout the night. I was only there for two nights. We talked about things well into the night and shared scripture. And then it came to pass that I went to bed that night thinking, well, you know, I maybe, you know, you won't be saved. And I learned a lot since then, my own self, about, you know, it's not our words that saves people. It is God's words that save people because, you know, you're going to go on big there. But just to say that when I woke up in the morning, I went to get a cup of coffee and I went outside to the patio to sit down and I saw that the Bible was open to the book of Matthew and there was nobody sitting there. And then out came Bennett from somewhere, I guess, with his cup of coffee. He sat down and he said that he's been going into the Word. And we talked some more and then he uh, ended up coming to faith in Jesus that day and professed his faith in Christ before I got on the airplane to come back home. Praise God. There was a young man, he was an engineer that worked with me uh, from A&M, and uh, he was searching for uh, answers to the Bible. I, I don't know if he was a believer or not, but if he was, he was very, very young in the faith. And we simply went to a Walmart together and I bought a Bible for him. And uh, it was my pleasure to uh, uh, watch him just read it on his own. And he would come back with questions, and he just just full of full of questions. And it was really a delight to just watch him grow. And I could see that he uh, he had an influence on some others uh, in our company. Uh, when I was newer in the faith, I went. I used to go to Overton Park in Memphis and share the gospel. And I went up to this one guy and asked him if I could share with him how God had made a way of salvation for man and something anyway. He, he allowed me you know, with my feeble words. I sat down, walked him through the, the scriptures, the man's sin, fall into sin, the Roman road and all that. And um, he understood and said he wanted to trust Christ. So he prays and asked Christ to forgive him and save him. And I congratulated him afterwards and on being in the family. And I got up to leave. I was done. And he grabbed me by the arm and said, wait a minute. What do I do now? <laughs> I didn't know about discipleship very much. <laughs> uh, another man that uh, walked up to me in Memphis after church and uh, asked, you know, if he could have some money for food, and I could tell he was an alcoholic. And I said, I can't just give you food, money for food, because I know I can see by the redness of your skin and all that you're an alcoholic, and uh, I can't contribute to that sin, but I can buy you food if you want. And he said, Yeah, I would really like that. Now. I realized what a mistake that was because there was not a food place close by. He was going to have to get in my car. He reeked. His shirt was riding on his body. It was just really filthy. And 
He got in my car and I shared the gospel with him as we traveled, read, quoted scriptures to him, shared with him similar things. We got there, bought him some food, went out, and I shook his hand and said goodbye. And he grabbed my arm as I'm leaving and said, wait, I want to do that thing. How do I do it? How do I get saved? And it just goes to show you, even when your heart's not right, but you've shared God's word, that sometimes God uses the weakest of people to bring people to, to him through his word only. And he trusted Christ, and after he did, after we walked through the scriptures and he trusted the Lord, uh, I opened up my wallet to give him $20 to take with him, and he turned it down. And uh, it was back in the 70s, so it was worth a little bit more, too. And, and he said, no, no, you're right. I would probably just go out and buy booze with that. And, uh, and I encouraged him in the Lord and uh, tried to I mean, make a long story short. I encouraged him to take it anyway and said, if you fail, God won't fail you. But please try your best. Find some hope. Find some help. Try to draw out a steering tour some places, but he was just going to continue to live on the street. But uh, just let him know that the salvation of Christ is due to Christ, not due to our faithfulness, but to his. So anyway, God is good even when we are weak. His word goes and does mighty things. Tom, this isn't exactly what you're looking for, but it works with kids, too. Um, there was one time when our son Michael was about four years old, and I, I, the way I remember it, he piped up at the dinner table sort of making an announcement to us saying, someday God is going to throw Satan into the lake of fire. <laughs> and we said, really? How, how do you know that? And he said, well, I read it in my study Bible. All right. <laughs> During his nap time. That's what he did instead of napping. During his nap time. That's really good. Margaret. It happens all the time in small ways with me. Uh, recently, I've been meeting with my, my cousin, Jeanette, uh, who is very close to me in age. And uh, she's already a Christian, but just encouraging her in the Word and encouraging her in scriptural principles, she told me that she has always been the one that people have come to. And she lost her mother recently, and that was her Strength, And she said, now I've become like a big sister to her. And it's been so interesting to see how the Lord faithfully, as you're in the Word, gives you words to encourage others. But the first, when I first raised my hand, I remembered something many years ago uh, when I was uh, working in a career path. And there was a young lady whom... I shared Christ with and I began and she accepted and I, she began to I began to share Christ, uh, Christian principles uh, with her through the months probably six months or so we would see each other uh, two or three times a week and every time I would suggest things she would go home and she would try them and she would come back and say that is so wonderful how the Lord Leads and how what you're telling me from God's word is true and has, is changing my life. And that was many years ago, but it, God continues to be so faithful. And what I've discovered when I'm studying something, He'll invariably bring people to me, uh, that are going through the same issue that the Lord has just given me verses on. And He doesn't waste any time in sharing those things. And it's just been such a blessing to grow close to the Lord and see him work. That's cool. Thank you. When I was at uh, the IT company that I worked at for 16 years, a young man that came to work for us uh, 
was from a background, I'll, I'll try to not name names here, but he was from a background that taught that justification was by faith and works. And uh, he was devout in that understanding and in that religion. Um, he named the name of Christ, but he did not know the grace of God in Christ. And I also don't want to intimate that that you can take any whole Christian, nominal Christian religion and discard it and say there's no Christians there. I don't believe that at all. God works in the lives of people, all kinds of... But this guy, this guy did not know grace. Well, I resolved that in, uh, he, he was willing to be in a Bible study with me, so we did a Bible study every week for almost a year, in the, uh, Wednesday morning before work. And uh, I resolved at the beginning of it not to talk to him about what was wrong with what he believed. I resolved to do one thing, and that was to point him to Scripture and let God convince him of what was right and what was wrong. And about midway through that year, maybe more like a third through that year, he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he it, it was amazing to watch the, the change in this guy and to watch him. He would come and he would say, he'd be reading at, in between the, the studies and he would come and say to me, man, I had no idea that what I, that this thing that I believed wasn't what God says. And he just grew and grew. Now he, he and his wife, he married a godly a lady. They do summer missions every year in Mexico. He is in his church, faithful. They're both walking with the Lord big time. The Word of God, the Word of God imparts life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and even to the Gentile. Let's proclaim God's message using his word as much as we possibly can. Father, thank you for this opportunity to think on these things. These are powerful, important things for us to know. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, graciously move us to, to to cling to you you, you are the, the bringer of the message. You are the bringer of understanding. You are the giver of transformation. And so we look to you and you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.